the uh, the formerly communist country of Albania has uh, apparently contradictory distinctions. One is that it's suddenly a very popular tourist destination and the other is that in the UK, Albanian migrants are derided. They have uh, been a focus of the UK's tougher immigration policies, which we've been discussing with Ian Dunt for some considerable time. So what's this about? Why the preoccupation with Albanians? Leia Opie is Albanian. She's also a professor of political theory at the London School of Economics and happens to also to have written a highly acclaimed memoir titled simply Free about growing up under Albanian communism, which we talked to her about on this little wireless program a couple of years ago. Leo was a big hit at the Byron Writers' Festival a week or so ago. In fact, her book apparently sold out, and she's now doing a stint at the ANU in Canberra, and I'm delighted that she can join us again Leo, welcome. You've been uh, writing recently about the Albania migration issue for various UK media outlets. There's been a lot of hurt and anger for Albanians, hasn't there? Yes, uh, there has been. It's been going on for a few months in the United Kingdom now. It started as a campaign led by Suela Braverman, the current Home Secretary, who accused Albanians of invading, invasion to the United Kingdom and ended up calling all Albanians criminals. And Did she use that term, invasion? Yes, she used the term invasion uh, as she was speaking of small boat crossings via the channel in the UK and the what she considered to be a crisis with high number of arrivals of illegal immigrants. And Albanians were singled out and this provoked an uproar, especially in the amongst the Albanian diaspora in the UK, who is highly integrated, but in the last couple of years has, years has experienced this wave of racism and xenophobia and has been singled out as a minority group, as a problematic one, and as I say, in particular, being called criminals. I was reading you in The Guardian, and you pointed out there are about 140,000 Albanians currently living in the UK, and they range from construction workers to doctors, from lawyers to cleaners to academics. Absolutely. As I say, it's a large group and mostly of very well integrated Albanians who have ended up being scapegoated by the government. It's just been the latest wave of anti-immigration rhetoric. It didn't start with Albanians. In fact, the conservative governments have been charging on uh, this migration issue for a few years now. It actually started with Brexit. Uh, the Eastern European countries, members of the European Union were the targets of Poles and Romanians were being accused of taking resources from public services in the United Kingdom. And the intention was to try and mobilize support for the Brexit campaign, which eventually succeeded. And so many European Union members returned to their home countries. And Albanians who were not members of the European Union, were already in the United Kingdom, ended up being part of this second wave of anti-immigrant attacks. I live in a country which has singled out wave after wave of migrants for this sort of special xenophobic attack. It's not unique to the UK, is it? It's not. It's in fact part very much of how right-wing governments are uh, have decided to tackle 
at the economic crisis that followed the financial crisis of 2008, then the various EU crises and institutions, the discourse has been very much led by the far right. The problem is that even moderate parties, parties of the center or of the left, instead of uh, confronting this migration discourse head on and amplifying the discussion and presenting new terms for debate, have decided to follow the far right rhetoric. And so this has become now part of the dominant discourse in Europe, uh, both in the United Kingdom, but also European Union members. Leia, why the focus on Albanians? Are there more migrants or more illegal migrants from Albania than elsewhere? Well, uh, it's a very complicated issue. Albania was a very isolated country during communism. For 50 years, nobody could leave the country. They would have been shot at the border by their own government if they'd tried. In 1991, the country opened up and there began the first wave of migrants initially to to Italy and Greece, so neighboring countries. And then with the NATO intervention in Kosovo, there was a second wave of migrants who moved in particular to uh, European countries such as Germany, France and the United Kingdom. And uh, after COVID, there was another wave called the silent wave, which was triggered by the COVID crisis, which, as you know, hit developing countries like Albania, particularly hard. The cost of healthcare rose, there were unemployment, there were shortcuts. And so it's a very unequal country, which produces waves of emigration both of skilled and unskilled migrants. It's not more problematic in the UK than in other countries. It's a kind of steady wave that hits different European countries. But uh, it has become more problematic in the UK after Brexit because of border control issues to do with coordination and share of information between Britain and France. And since there is a large diaspora of uh, Albanian migrants in the UK, most newly arrived migrants go where there is already a diaspora. And so there has been a raise in numbers in the last year. Now, the UK has must have lost a lot of EU workers as a result of Brexit. Absolutely. That was also one of the reasons for this migration, that there were in particular in the construction sector where uh, there were shortages due to Brexit in the agricultural sector. So in a number of sectors that required low-skilled labor, there were uh, shortages in labor supply as a result of Brexit because many East European workers returned to their countries, in part also as a result of the xenophobic attacks and the racism that they experienced over the years of the Brexit campaign. And so uh, Albanians then came from Albania and filled these labor shortages and found jobs because, as I say, through their diaspora, through their connections, through relatives that were already in the United Kingdom, they knew that there was need for work and there were people who needed work in Albania. And so they came. Now, there's a paradox. It seems easier to, uh, to become an illegal now than it once was because of Brexit. Well, it's actually not as easy as it seems. In fact, this is one of the things that is often brought out in ignorance by conservative politicians in the United Kingdom. When they confront Albanians, they say, well, how come you coming to Britain illegally since you could easily come on a cheap Ryanair or Wizzair flight? But in fact, it's extremely difficult for Albanians to obtain visas to come to the United 
Kingdom. And for, in particular, young uh, male Albanians, it's even more difficult. It's practically impossible. My brother applied for a visa to do an English course in the United Kingdom a few years ago, and he was rejected. Just He just received a blank rejection. My mother has also applied for a visa to come when I was pregnant, and I had written in my letter that I needed help uh, for uh, to look after my newborn. And she was rejected, actually, because she wrote that she was coming to help her daughter. She was pregnant. So if you can uh, imagine even someone like that, so the parent of a very well-integrated, high-earning academic, can't obtain a visa to come, or the brother or family member, imagine what the normal Albanian goes through uh, who is uh, has no support and who has no income and who can't really show all the kinds of things that more privileged Albanians can show in their paperwork. It's impossible for them to obtain a visa. My heart goes out to your brother, but I can't resist asking you to tell the story of how your mother finally got in. It's really, well, in some ways, quite funny. Well, so my brother never made it. So he's never actually been to the UK. He's never come to visit me. He doesn't know where I live, where my kids go to school, because he knew that it was pointless to reapply for a visa since he was young and of working age. And immediately he would be suspected of being someone who would come to the UK to find a job or to um, try to integrate and make a living and would never return. So he just never came back. My mother, however, we uh, reapplied for her visa. And in the second invitation letter, I didn't mention at all that I needed help for my newborn. I said that she was coming to visit the tourist sites and she'd go to restaurants and she'd spend money in the United Kingdom. And so when she applied with the second motivation letter, she did get the visa. And so when she had to come to help her daughter look after a newborn, she was denied it. And when I made no mention of the needs of for a family member and of the need to reunite my children with her, their grandmother, she immediately received it. And so this just tells you this is indicative of the kind of discrimination that ordinary Albanians experience and the various reasons uh, and the grounds on which these visas are rejected. Many of the things you're saying resonate in Australia during our long, uh, and I must say, terrible record on admitting refugees. But you also argue that economic migrants should not be seen as less needy. And I think this is an important point to make. Absolutely. And I think part of the rhetoric and of the anti-immigration rhetoric of right-wing forces in Europe and elsewhere at the moment is to try and distinguish very sharply between political migrants or refugees and asylum seekers and economic migrants, as though the economic migrants were deserving of the injustices that they experience and the political migrants instead were simply the victims of oppression. And I think both are victims of injustice. It's just that the kinds of injustices that they experience are different. In one case, it's the failure of an economic system that we all share, of a globalized capitalist system. And in the case of political migrants, it's the failure of their own states and of alternative oppressive regimes and so on. But I don't think there are principled grounds for distinguishing between economic migrants and political migrants. The ground, the injustice is the same. The hardship is the same. What they have to go through and what they put themselves through to escape that kind of oppression is exactly the same. And it seems to me very, very cynical to try and make these artificial distinctions. We should also factor in the uh, the collapse of the Albanian economy forced by the that IMF-driven uh, shock therapy. 
Yeah, and in general, I think developing countries really suffer when they have economic collapses. They suffer the shocks of global financial crises and of global capitalism. And this is also why I find the discourse on migration and in particular the focus on just helping asylum seekers and refugees is so narrow because it treats the problem of migration as just a problem of membership, who deserves to be in and who deserves to be out and which country can afford to take migrants and which ones can't and whether some should leave their country or shouldn't. But in fact, doesn't consider migration a problem of wider global injustice. So for me, migration should never be discussed as simply a problem of borders and who should be on this side or on that side of the border. It's just the prism through which to look at asymmetries of economic and political power in a globalized world of which we all share the problems. And of course, the whole world is going to be facing mass refugee movements because of climate change. This, uh, we've got to prepare for that, don't we? Yes, and this is extremely important also to understand that it's something that will affect all of us. And there is the, the, the artificial discourse around migration, turning this into a question of membership is a very false short-term, a very short-sighted solution. We will never be able to resolve the problem if we tackle it as a problem of sealing off certain countries and leaving other countries out, because the kinds of concerns that we have are shared global concerns. With environmental crisis, we will all suffer the repercussions and so these artificial divisions of countries that deserve to be let left out and countries that deserve to keep the economic and the political status that they have is a very superficial one that is not going to keep in the long term. Let's talk briefly about Albania as a tourist destination. I understand it's got good beaches and mountains and uh, it's cheaper than Greece. Is that what it boils down to? Well, yes, I mean, that's the, the first impression. And I'm very happy that there has been this wave of uh, tourism in Albania. It has helped change the image of Albania as a just desperate country that used to only produce emigrants. And in some ways, it's helping the country shake off the uh, impact of both these 50 years of very hard communist rule and then 30 years of tragic transition to capitalism and this democracy that is really struggling to uh, emerge so it's, it's on the one hand, it's very good. On the other hand, there is a danger of thinking just of tourism as that which produces resorts and income through high-end luxury uh, developments because they are not environmentally sustainable and they also exacerbate economic inequalities in the country. They raise prices, they enhance differences in status and wealth differentials, and they contribute to entrenching inequalities even further. Albania is already a very, very unequal society. So I think some tourism is good. And when it's done in a responsible, conscientious, environmentally sensitive way, it obviously helps uh, a cultural exchange and it helps the country. It helps it integrate in the, in, in the world. But on the other hand, we have to be very, very careful in how we think about tourism and how sustainable it is in the long run. And in particular, what kind of tourism? I don't think we should have the kind of consumerist tourism. So there's different kinds of tourism and I'm very cautious when I speak of the tourism of Albania because as I say it has these ambiguities. Leah, thank you that very much for that. Leia Opie uh, is Professor of Political Theory at the LSE and she's also Honorary President, I'm sorry, Honorary Professor of Philosophy at ANU where she is at the moment. Her acclaimed and uh, funny 2021 book, Free, Coming of Age and the End of History, is published by Penguin. And uh, we'll have a link 
to our last chat with Leah about that book and growing up in Albania on our webpage. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.